Hello there, one and all, um, and welcome to this week's edition of our chat. Uh, as always, I'm joined by my mate and ex-colleague Ralph Hebgen, who is the resident genius and former equity research guru. This week, we're going to be talking about three things. Firstly, the Bank of England's decision to leave interest rates unchanged. Secondly, the major takeaways of this week's inaugural AI summit, and I don't mean the food. Uh, and thirdly, the potential end of the luxury boom. So let's start off with what is probably our favourite subject, uh, and that is inflation slash <laughs> interest rates. So, of course, this week, um, or, the, you know, the week just gone, um, we saw that the Bank of England decided to leave uh, interest rates unchanged. Um, actually, lots of people have been asking me, uh, you know, in the gym and other places, you know, <laughs> what do I think is going to happen? So everyone's going to be interested uh, in this. So, Ralph, what do you have to say? I have to say that you go to a really strange gym if <laughs> if, if, if people drift up to you when you're when you're doing the the yeah. press ups or whatever you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Five hundred kilograms, and, <laughs> yeah. and ask. Yeah. Oh, be, 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 before you go, yeah. mate, can you just uh, give <laughs> yeah. me? What do you think? By the way, they know me. Just, just in case you were just wondering, like I go to the gym and some random people just think, "Oh, he looks like someone that might know uh, what's yeah, going with the interest." Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. We so, these people we, know me. They, they do know heads me. So, yeah. Where interest rates are going to go? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, I do think about interest rates a lot. So when I'm at the gym, that's genuinely all which crosses my mind. Um, of course. Well, I mean, there is a, just an on, it's an ongoing story. We comment on it recurrently. There is not that much to report on it, but I just wanted to mention or acknowledge, first of all, that the Bank of England has uh, kept interest rates unchanged at the previous level of five and a quarter percent. And... Uh, that is the level we got to at the last meeting. And at the last meeting, they already said, well, we are probably going to go into a period where we are not going to need to increase rates anymore. But also, it is unlikely that they're going to come down anytime soon. And uh, I don't know who it was, but some person used mountain ranges to illustrate the dynamics here and he basically said well it's uh, not going to be the Matterhorn uh, it's going to be sure. tab Table Mount so the Matterhorn goes yeah. up and down yeah. Yeah. and Table Mount is in South Africa I believe uh, and it sort of goes up and there's a plateau yeah. on which we're going to be for a yeah. long time by so the way is... for, the, for those of you who are listening to this you are missing the whole kind of um the visual aids that we're doing here we are using yeah. our fingers to draw the mountains so you know if you've if you've ever thought oh what do they look like on video um this this would be a great uh you know this maybe this is this is fate telling you to watch us on video i, I don't know Absolutely, you should really catch yeah. this catch this on video because you yeah. can see Peter in his office yeah. and me in mine, and you can yeah. we we spare no expense in bringing yeah. you three D immersive uh, oh. slides with, yeah. with with fingers drawing weird 
oh, sort of shapes into yeah. the air. It's yeah. absolutely brilliant. Nobody knows yeah. what we're doing. No, indeed. <laughs> and in fact, actually, let's just quickly just say that obviously you might have noticed that there are some books behind um, uh, behind Ralph um, at the moment. Uh, that's that's his book, uh, Happiness Rules, which we are talking about actually in another podcast that will be coming to you very soon. And actually, that is going to be something I think that will be very useful to you all. Um, so again, just w- watch out for that. I haven't published it yet. Um, and there will be, I think, there will be at least two uh, in the series of these special podcasts. But anyway, yeah. and, to... and it's not, it's not going to be about the book, of course. It's going yeah. to be how to find the right career. But this yeah. is what I've been writing about as well in mm. the book. What we're talking about now, of course, is back to the mountain ranges of mm-hmm. Switzerland and South Africa mm-hmm. as metaphors for interest rates, mm-hmm. um, as you do. So basically, uh, acknowledging again, Bank of England kept interest rates uh, stable and that's in the context of their statement last time they did just that that interest rates are going to be at this level for a long time this time the Bank of England has also added that it is concerned about a a period of stagnation that the UK Mm -hmm. economy is going to move into and I just wanted to make a quick comment on the, let's say, fragile uh, condition or fragile fabric of the economy in in, in which we are currently, um, in in, in which we find ourselves, because inflation is coming down, not materially, but visibly. Inflation is also the same uh, in the year to September as it is as it was in the year to August and that's 6.3% headline inflation and yet it is coming down so as inflation is coming down hmm. but the interest rates are staying the same that puts a little bit more money into people's pockets hmm. not a lot more money but it is it is sort of you know visible if if you are in a situation where the cost of living is such that you do have to wonder whether you can pay the grocery bill and your electricity cost. And you are mm. going to wonder about this again, because I, for one, can say that I'm wearing a little bit more layers here mm. <laughs> because it's turning cold now in London mm. and everywhere. So if you are in that position, and most people are, then it is a good thing if inflation is coming down and interest rates are not going to go up further because clearly that means that your expenses are coming down while your mortgage expense as the key item in your household budget is not is not increasing anymore. Mm. This is only true for those who are at the end of their fixed rate term. Mm. I understand this. Let's not be too detailed here, but that is the situation. So the problem here is for the Bank of England, they will, of course, observe this. As it puts a little bit more money into people's pockets, it means that people might actually spend a little bit more in the economy. And as they do this, that unfortunately will support inflation. So in your attempt to make sure that inflation is indeed being fought by the interest rate decisions of the Bank of England, the, the the bank has to now be careful not to give in to calls which are already arising now hmm. to lower interest rates. Because if you lower interest rates too early, then you will have a 
situation where you support inflation, that's unfortunately then going to be counter counterproductive, leading to the necessity to raise interest rates again. And that's not going to look very good if the mm. Bank of England is going to sort of another 3D slide coming up for you guys who are just listening, <laughs> uh, sort of zigzagging between coming down, going up. That's not going to look very competent. So from that point of view, I would also expect the Bank of England to keep this on table, table mount uh, at the current level of five and a quarter percent. For quite some time, the bank says this might actually be that level until the end of um, 2024, maybe even into 2025. Hmm. Let's see what happens. But um, that's the situation we're in. I don't believe the Bank of England can afford to derail the downward trend in inflation by lowering interest rates too early. Hmm. I mean, the the um, the classic generally is that central banks tend to increase interest rates too late or you know uh, yeah too late and then they tend to um you know bring them down too early i think that's i think that's the thing where mm-hmm. and so yeah, you exactly. get you get it, it, it bad at both at both ends um at the scale but anyway we'll just have to see because the problem is you bring them down too early then you've got to raise them again uh, as you, as you've just said, so that's the, exactly. Uh, so you know that's the problem, uh, and then they look stupid, and then people don't <laughs> believe them, and you know, and then the market just does what it wants to, which is not the idea. And of course, these things are also always embedded in the political cycle, um, mm. which means that Sunak will need to want interest rates to come down next year before he calls the next general election for obvious mm. reasons. But clearly, the Bank of England is independent and he can't actually tell the bank to do what he wants them to do. But there is going to be lobbying on the Bank of England. And so that's all going to be inspired by the political goal, which the Tory government, of course, Hmm. has. And that is to they will want to see interest rates coming down next year. So next year is going to be a game of the Bank of England not wanting to put interest rates down but coming increasingly under fire of or, or under pressure uh, of uh, parties in the economy and the politics who would want them to do this. All of that, of course, um, anticipating that inflation is going to come down further. Hmm. Brilliant. So there we go. Um, so let's move on to the um, second topic, which is all about um, what happened this week with so Bletchley Park, there was the inaugural uh, AI Safety Summit where you had loads of um, representatives and leaders from, from governments, um, from companies that are, that are right at the forefront um, of AI at the moment. So, um, you know, Microsoft, Google, uh, OpenAI, Anthropic, and many, many others. Um, notably, the, the people that weren't there were Macron, uh, I don't know why, and uh, uh, Joe Biden. I guess that's a bit of a, I think that's, I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but I think that's a bit of an alpha male type uh, thing going on there, where the Amer- Americans want to look like they, you know, they say they don't need to go to some you know, little island um, <laughs> to sh- to show to show that uh, you know they're at the forefront of AI. Because let's face it, they are. They've got all the biggest companies that deal in it. 
Um, well, I mean, we have DeepMind, but Google bought DeepMind. But anyway, mm. um, so yeah, Americans are at the forefront, um, and so so yeah. So I thought yeah, it was interesting um, from from what it's for what it's worth from my point of view. Um, I thought that it was impressive that the event went ahead mm-hmm. at all. So I think that that's a that's a win. Um, <laughs> I think that um, the also though that the the number of attendees was I think and the type the quality is very impressive um and particularly that the Chinese came as well yes I wonder I mean although America is very much at the forefront of AI if America had held it I wonder whether the Chinese would have been there now some people have said have criticized the events for inviting the Chinese um but I would suggest that you you had to have them there because you can't pretend that China doesn't exist, you know, and I think that it's important that more people and more governments are on top of um, AI. Um, so I think it's a good thing that they came. Um, and like I say, had it been held in America, would it have gone ahead? I don't you know, or would they have turned up? I don't know. I mean, they're, they're actually having some, uh, I think Xi Jinping is going to America this month. Um, and no doubt they'll talk about AI and stuff then as well. But anyway, uh, so I thought it was really good. Uh, that was really good. There were some, um, you know, they, they signed an agreement, but that's not legally binding and all that stuff. But I think the fact that they actually had the thing going on, the fact that they got together, they thought, they talked, they debated, um, and they came to some kind of conclusions. I mean, you know, it's the first one. So you can't expect everything. But I think the fact that, I think, it's a good step and it was a major step forward and hopefully it means that that will help to accelerate um, a coordinated approach towards the regulation um, of AI and the ethics surrounding it. Mm-hmm. But what, what do you think, Ralph? Well, indeed. I mean, you, you, you said exactly what, what, what I think as well. I mean, let's, let's not forget. I mean, we all know what AI is and um, what is going on. We have LLMs, large language models, left, right and center. Everybody develops one. The most well-known one is ChatGPT and it writes our essays and it does all sorts of things. The, 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 the new version of ChatGPT you can actually chat to. I don't know whether you've tried it or not, but it's actually really impressive. It's like talking to a human being. Um, and um, it's it, it, it's a bit wordy. I mean, it, it gets on my nerves, if I'm perfectly honest. But it is technologically very impressive indeed. And when so, you say that, do you mean what? You mean a voice thing or... Yeah, a voice yeah. thing. I mean, basically, you're talking to your mobile, like you talk to your to your personal assistant if you have Alexa or Siri or Google oh, right. Assist or whatever. It's that. exactly the same thing. It's just you, you don't ask Siri to switch the light on. You yeah. ask um, um, ChatGPT to talk about the development of democracy in Europe or something. Wow. And then you Listen. better put the kettle on because it's going to chat yeah. to you for like three hours about this. But it wow. is very impressive. Wow. I was going to say, Ralph, look, if you're ever feeling lonely, just, just give me a call. You know, you don't need, you don't need to talk to ChatGPT. You've got me here. You know. oh, well, okay. Well, <laughs> that's why I'm here. I mean, basically. Yeah. 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 I'm actually... You're just going to go and put the kettle on and have a 
chat to chat GPT, right? Well, nobody <laughs> knows this. I don't actually exist, really. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a well, synth virtual. or whatever. I mean, when, when, we, when we switch off our various technologies here, I, I kind of deflate at my desk. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nice. Next week, I come, nice. come up, blow up. Yeah, right? yeah. Anyway, yeah. so it's all good stuff here. Um, we all know what AI is. What we also know, or at least sense, is that this is a clearly transformational technology in the making with the operative words being in the making. I don't think anybody really knows where the journey is going to go. But we all know that this is a transformational technology of a kind which mankind probably has not encountered before. Mm. And I would include here inventions like fire and, and the wheel, even language, or maybe mm. even maybe language is similar, but probably mm. not even that. It follows from this that we need to find some forms of regulation, some framework which will mean that we can at least contain the development and make sure um, you can see I'm halting in my voice because I don't really know how to how, how to phrase this. Make sure is probably too optimistic. What I would mm. should say is create guidelines which we would be able to apply to prevent the the, the worst abuses of of this technology. Mm. And I think. Um, the awareness in the industry in and in, in politics that this is necessary, that has been building over the last two years, because just the awareness that we need to do this is also quite new. It's, mm. it, it's newer, if that's a word, than the technology itself. Mm. And so this is one thing which I would like to say. That's bullet point number one from this. The fact that we now have an AI summit this one was in, in the UK. The next one is going to be in France. And you can see where this might be going. It might be going around like the Olympics. Every country hosts uh, mm. one every year. Uh, summits of this nature where countries are coming together, countries and the technologies which they host are coming together in in the attempt to seek a dialogue with the aim to formulate effective regulation for this, for this technology, that in itself is a step forward and, and a necessary step. Mm. The, the second point I would like to make is echoing your point. It's interesting to see who was there and who wasn't there. I mean, Kamala Harris was there, the vice mm. president of the US, so it's not as if the US weren't present, mm. but it's very important <clears throat> to see that China was present um, mm. because if we wish to develop any kind of regulation which effectively can um, can form a framework for this technology then it has to be hosted or carried agreed on by all the countries in the world who are the uh, a host of this technology and that is basically let's face it the us and china Mm. It, it, it's less Europe. Mm. Um, and the third 
point which I would like to say, or, or which I noted, is that America, it's not just that they were absent in, you know, the big guy didn't come, the US president didn't come, yeah. but they also have a parallel development in the US where they are talking about and developing regulation themselves. And this is called the AI Safety Institute, which they founded. So I think this is all excellent developments which go in the, in the right direction because I do remember when we talked about it in previous uh, um, podcasts, I was getting worried that the politicians didn't even understand the need for this regulation. And so clearly we are now in a world where we are, where the momentum is gathering in order to um, in order to develop this regulation, the fact that we don't quite know yet how to regulate this industry perhaps isn't actually all that concerning because we don't quite know where this technology is going at the moment anyway. So, um, so I think these are these are the right uh, developments here. The right tendencies are beginning to take shape. Mm. The fact that this is going to be an annual event, as it is shaping up to be, is important. And the fact that all notable uh, representatives from industry were there, and most of the uh, po uh, political leaders of the countries, has made this a pivotal event. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is. Uh... Yeah, it's it's quite amazing to think it did actually happen here. Um, and, you know, there are some, I mean, I, I guess you have like people like Elon Musk bringing a bit of the old uh, showbiz um, mm, yes. to it as well. Um, but anyway, I, it's a good thing. I think it's a great first step. Um, it's moving in the right direction. But of course, the, the next step now. So we've got all the, the niceties out of the way. Um, it needs to come. They need to come out with some, um, you know, more um, a constructive and uh, concrete uh, measures in order to do it. And it needs to happen quickly because of the the uh, the speed of the development of AI. Um, yeah, exactly. so I mean, the thing which, which, which the country signed was a declaration that basically says. Um, that industry needs to run its product developments by governments and uh, and and ask for uh, for sign off mm. it's not legally binding nobody mm. has to do this but it's intent a declaration of intent so to speak and it is the right direction although i would sort of slightly uh, shrug my shoulders about this i don't really want governments to have a say in which technology is uh, fit for purpose. I want an independent regulatory body, analogous mm. to what we have in the pharma industry, for example. As in pharmaceuticals, not agriculture. Uh, sorry, yes, I, I keep Just doing say, this. Yeah. <laughs> as, in, as, in, as in pharmaceuticals, absolutely. Yeah. Um, because clearly, I mean, nobody would uh, doubt that we need effective regulation in the pharmaceutical industry. Mm. Nobody is doubting that we are needing this in AI. I just think governments are possibly the wrong arbiter to sign this off. But it is a good first step, and I'm sure that we are going to have regulatory bodies, uh, the foundation of regulatory bodies to to look at AI, which is going to come out of this this process. 
Um, there was one other thing which I wanted to say on this, but unfortunately I've forgotten what it was. <laughs> so not, you built it up so well yeah. and then oh. suddenly it's like, ah, okay. Excellent. It's not a very, very constructive comment. Ah, I, I remembered. It's, oh, yeah, um, it's the fact that we all will be turned into paper clips. Mm. Okay, for, for, for those who are not following the AI world um, as, as closely as perhaps some, some others do, this is Nick Bostrom's um, famous thought uh, experiment. And he basically highlighted several years ago in his book, Superintelligence, the potential danger of super intelligent AI. So he basically said, well, what happens if you give my super intelligent AI the mandate or the, the task to produce as many paper clips as possible? Then the AI will go away and transform all the matter in the universe eventually into paper clips. And that's that, that has become a metaphor for for the for the the potentially existentially destructive power of super intelligence once ai becomes more intelligent than the most intelligent human then basically it is on a pathway which humans cannot control anymore that's known as the problem of control and the problem of alignment and and the reason that i mention these two is that uh, notably and 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 it, can be expected that this problem has been discussed at this summit, and it was, and this is what Elon Musk brought to the proceedings, a bit of showmanship, a little yeah. bit of buzz, and not surprisingly, he basically said again that uh, I might actually be the death of all humans in the universe. Yeah. Now, <laughs> whether it is or whether it isn't is not quite my point. I believe that it is, however, important to discuss this potential existential threat, whether it is real or not, because it brings home the potential danger of this technology and commensurately the need to regulate it. Mm. Once this has been established again and again, we can then think about how to regulate the near-term risks, and it was also near-term risks such as disinformation, um, fake news, uh, the development of um, so-called synth, which are human replicas, uh, and 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 all the uh, potentially nefarious uses which which this can be put to that was discussed especially in the context of next year where we're going to have elections in many countries of of the world and the potentially this well, corrosive impact on the way in which voters form opinions by AI. This mm. is the near a near-term risk. It's near-term indeed. It's next year where we're going to find potentially the impact of AI on the decision-making process in the context of voting. And so these were discussed as well. And I, I think that is where the short-term risks are, which regulation needs to address. Fair enough. Um, I just wanted to add that um, 
maybe having Elon Musk there added a bit of the X factor. Oh, God. <laughs> thank yes, you. Very, very good. Uh, thank you. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, right, good stuff. So uh, let's move on to the final, uh, final topic after that shocking dad joke. Um, so uh, the third thing is the, the end of the luxury boom. Now, um, I think that it would be fair to say over the last few years, um, luxury goods have been doing incredibly well. Luxury goods companies, so the likes of LVMH, uh, so, you know, uh, Louis Vuitton, uh, etc., um, and Kering, which owns brands such as uh, Gucci, uh, Balenciaga, and uh, Yves Saint Laurent, among others. They've all been doing really well. Mm. Um, and it seemed, and actually to the extent that recently LVMH became the biggest, uh, company in Europe. <laughs> however, uh, yeah. So, however, um, it seems that recent, um, results and statements and things like that has not been going as well. And it seems that things have been slowing down in this area. Um, and I would add to that. So, um, that Porsche, for instance, mm-hmm. um, did not do particularly. So last week, they were saying that they saw they were seeing a slowdown in in luxury. Uh, sorry, in so slowdown in sales themselves. So it would seem that maybe until really rather recently, um, rich people have been not feeling the cost of living crisis in the same way that a lot of other people have. So the lower down the socioeconomic scale you are in terms of your your income, um, the higher the proportion of your disposable income that you spend on basics like food, live, you know, accommodation, and perhaps, you know, fuel, utilities, that sort of thing. They, so when the utility bills go up, when food prices go up, you feel it, you know, you feel it directly in the way that you live. Um, less so the higher up the scale you are in terms of earnings and income, that sort of thing, because you will be thinking more of, ah, oh, yeah, the food shopping is a bit more expensive. Oh, that's a nightmare, but actually you keep spending, you keep buying the holidays, you know, this is what's been happening, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, you keep buying the holidays, the, um, I think it was, what was it? So, um, uh, uh, you know, private jets, all that sort of, so, you know, it's all kind of been doing okay. Been, you know, it's just surprisingly doing okay. Um, but, you know, it's, it's been coming, it's slowing down. And now I, I was thinking, is this the case? And then I thought it'd be quite interesting to see, because this week there, there were, we we had um, uh, results from Ferrari and Aston Martin, for instance, to see whether like ultra high net worth people mm-hmm. um, were also feeling it. Um, and it seems not. Um, it seems that they, uh, that, you know, Ferrari has been doing really well. Um, Aston Martin didn't do well, but I would argue Aston Martin has its own problems so one is it's got it's got very high debts and it's been trying to sort out its finances also it had some production 
supply chain bottleneck problem. So if you put that aside, you know, you've got, say, if you contrast, say, Ferrari, the Ferrari's uh, strength and Porsche's weakening trend, I would say that Ferrari is in another level above uh, Porsche. I mean, although most of us would say, you know, having a Porsche is, is kind of a badge of wealth, um, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, you know, the fact of the matter is you can get, if you really wanted to, you could buy a Porsche, you know, a new one, like a Macan or maybe a Cayman or something like that for a sort of 50 ish, you know, if you had no cup holders and things, you know, maybe 50 ish grand, 50, 60 grand. Um, whereas, you know, Ferraris uh, will, I mean, you're, you starting from like 180 above, same with Aston Martin as well. So it's another, it's another leap. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but anyway, going back to it, uh, one of the things I would like to suggest here is that, um, and I, I you know I was talking about this recently, um, not to someone in the gym, I hasten to add, um, but um, just in the way that I feel that rich people feel the cost of living crisis in a different way to people lower down the socio economic scale, because I think at the lower end you're feeling it directly. The, you can't afford as much food you maybe have you know heat or eat you might have to switch off the heating when it's cold um yeah all that kind of stuff whereas i think what happens with richer people is that you know although they might not that although they might think oh god you know the food food bill's a bit high um they just they but they feel it in other ways because they may look at things like their the values of their portfolio, for instance. Mm-hmm. Because obviously, if you're lower down the scale, you don't have money to throw around to have a portfolio of, of investments and things, and you know, shares, stocks and shares and stuff. Whereas further up the scale, you will, you probably will have. And you know, you can imagine, you you, you know, you might be thinking, God, you know, this I keep hearing about this cost of living crisis, and you know, it is bad, but you know, I'm okay. Um, but I wonder what my portfolio is doing. And then they look at their portfolio and think, wow, actually, I'm getting killed here. So, um, you know, what's going on? And then they go to the golf golf club and then they talk to their mates, the golf club and the people that mates to it. And it all spreads and everyone starts panicking about what's going on in their in their portfolios. Then they think, well, maybe I won't buy that you know suitcase that's luggage set from louis vuitton or something or maybe i won't do this i'll pull it in like that and so maybe that's i kind of wonder whether that is why the these luxury companies are seeing a bit of a slowdown whereas if you then go past the high net worths and go into the realms of the ultra high net worths they're still okay but sorry i know that's a bit of a convoluted you know thing to say but anyway what do you think of that ralph yeah it it certainly looks as if that's a sensible way to look at the phenomenon which is the luxury good mark goods markets it's a strange market isn't it in uh, economics i think there's a term for this it's called anomalous demand or something which means that the the more expensive an item is, the more demand is there for it. Mm. Uh, because clearly a higher price associates luxury and exclusive use with the good which you're, which you're buying. Mm. Um, 
and, and the luxury good market is really weird. I mean, I may have shared this anecdote with you before, but uh, my wife and I were at Harrods. This is a long time ago, like 10 years ago or so. And, and, and I thought, well, it's Christmas soon, so I'm going to buy something nice. And we were in the bags uh, division or whatever you know <laughs> the department where yeah. where you had bags and and there was a bag which was made from some expensive leather it was something like crocodile leather or something i can't mm -hmm. remember exactly what it was and it was a clutch bag you know clutch bags mm -hmm. are sort of small things which you mm -hmm. can well the, the name suggests what it is which you can just hold in your hands when you're at cocktail parties or whatever it might be and so I thought, well, can I have a look at this, please? And I was talking to the person um, selling the the bags. Can I take a look at this, please? And my wife said, oh, no, no, don't, don't do this. And I thought, well, how expensive can this be? It's maybe 500 quid because it's a luxury item. It's a small mm. bag. may mm. cost 500 quid, but, you know, it's Christmas. Mm. <laughs> so when the person said... This one would be fifteen thousand pounds, sir. How did you? Um, and what was your reaction? My reaction I'll have, was, well, I'll, 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 I'll have two. Yeah, right. Put me down for two. I was, uh, I was speechless for once. Happens very yeah. rarely. Yeah. And I, I, just, I just walked away and I thought, ah, <laughs> okay, good. Not for me then. Uh, anyway, so that's just to illustrate what the luxury mm. good market, goods market can can be like. And mm. um, and it is clear that somebody who may have five hundred pounds to spend on a little bag is not a person who is destitute, mm. but a person who can spend fifteen thousand pounds is in a completely different league. Mm. And this is the same for any kind of good in the luxury good markets. These are things which you don't really need. You know, mm. if you need a bag, you need some sturdy item where you can stuff some things in which you need to carry around. I think that's the definition of a bag. But it someone has to cost yes, ten thousand dollars. So beautifully expressed. But yeah. yeah. Excellent. I know what I'm talking about here. And yeah. um yeah. So, yeah, sure. I mean, this can cost 150 quid, 200 quid, because it's maybe it's a big bag and you have to, uh, it's luggage and it needs to be sturdy, etc. But clearly, anything else is not justified um, simply from the utility of the item. And this would be my way, perhaps, of, of analyzing it Illust illustratively. I have no numbers here to offer, but. There are two things here which I would like to point out. One is something which I would call the marginal purchase. Mm -hmm. That's something which you sort of would like to buy. And if you feel flush, if you are affluent, if you have the money, then you would buy it. But if you feel that you haven't got quite as much money as you thought you would need to justify this purchase, then you would not make it. Mm. And that goes back to your point, maybe I'm looking at my portfolio, maybe my portfolio has just dropped by £100,000. That's not going to be a disaster for you if you are an affluent person, but it's not going mm. to make you happy. Mm. And it might be the difference between buying that new Porsche or not buying it. Mm. Um, and the next bit 
we were mentioning Ferraris. The mm. next bit which I would like to introduce into this is utility. <laughs> because a Porsche, which might cost you 50, 70,000 pounds, is actually, uh, it's a utility car. You, you can use it in the real world. You can, you can make, you can, you know, put suitcases in it, would you believe it? And, mm. uh, and you can, it, it, it drives perfectly fine. There's nothing weird going on. Hmm. A Ferrari is not a usable item. It's hmm. a completely preposterous car. You can't hmm. put any any luggage in it. You can't go shopping with it because the boot space isn't enough for you to actually use. It's hmm. wider at the back than it is at the front. Hmm. Uh, it, it's ridiculous. I mean, it, it really doesn't work. So you, the utility of the £250,000 car is very low. Hmm. And Although if I... They... The Ferrari does have a solution for that very problem. Um, yeah, I know. You know, they they um they recently released a four by four, um, oh, for the puro, puro Sangue, which is uh, well, I think it's a, it's a, it, well, it's a, it's a, it's a bargain. I mean, it's a, it's only about three hundred grand. Um, so, again, you know, I mean, obviously, there's room for a lot of uh, Harrods clutch bags in there. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. I think you can buy an Audi Q8 for forty thousand or something. Could uh, be. I don't know. Which, or, or yeah. Anyway, so that will be a better solution for for many. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. Where was I? Ah, utility. So basically, yeah. if you if you do like a ratio, utility divided by purchasing price, then mm. the the Ferrari is even even more expensive than mm. the Porsche. Because I mean, or, or the other way around, whichever you want the metric to be, price divided by utility, mm. you have a huge number uh, in a Ferrari, and you have uh, a much lower number in a Porsche, mm. meaning that to buy a Ferrari, not only do you have to be affluent, not only do you have to have a sizable discretionary income, mm. you also have to be able to buy an item which is basically useless, which has no obvious utility value. A Ferrari is a fun car to drive. That's what it does and that's what it is. And it's nothing mm. really much more than that. Mm. Um, therefore, the ultra high well i don't know whether that's a word or not but i'm mm. i'm coining it the ultra high luxury market the the sort of strata mm. within the luxury market which mm -hmm. are which are closer to the top than to the bottom are less affected by the vagaries of of the economy than mm. the medium layers let's say and mm. that's where the portions of this world reside and that's why yeah i would i would um I would go with your analysis there. It is also that we have now lived in a world with very high household expenditure and cost of living for quite some time. Mm. Uh, and it takes time for this to filter through to the household income or wealth, even of those people who are affluent. Mm. And so I come back to my idea of the marginal purchase, by, by, by which I just simply mean that you need to be flush, you need to feel flush, you need to have 70K lying around, basically, mm. uh, in order to buy a Porsche. But if your portfolio just dropped by that sort of amount, then you may actually defer that purchase until mm. later. And that is, I think, where 
the um, the bracket <clears throat> Porsche finds itself in, and mm -hmm. that's probably why Porsche has announced that it's slowing down, whereas Ferrari has actually had a very good year recently. Mm. And I don't know about bags, whether yeah. LV, um, what are they called? LVMH. LVMH. So uh, Louis Vuitton. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think they also didn't suffer very much. And so that, they did, no, they did, they did. They are contracting. The only one actually that of that of that ilk um, mm. that uh, seem to be doing all right is actually Prada. Um, oh, fair enough. So yeah, mm. but uh, but there we go. I mean, who knew, right, that both of us would be such incredibly knowledgeable fashion stroke uh, automotive gurus? I mean, <laughs> you know, that's, there you go. I mean, I, yeah, <laughs> indeed. My yeah. guys, I my guys, seventeen years old. So I really yeah. <laughs> nice. nice. Um, but no, there you go. So I guess I think we might as well sort of uh, bring it to a close there. Um, yep. But uh, yeah, lots of interesting stuff to unpack. Um, and um, and I think, sorry, I hate that phrase. I don't know. I, I can't that. believe you said That's unpack. A, I'm going to unpack. I don't know. I read it like earlier on. And yeah. So I don't know. Well, this it, goes anyway. back to the bag thing about luxury. And look out for our brilliant podcast yeah uh on we, we, which we still have to record so maybe i shouldn't actually lord this yeah. so much but... well no no we've got one no so we've done one we've done one and there's going to be another one as well so i'm thinking release them at roughly the same but you uh, haven't published it yet so we've done it but yes. it's not out there yet That's so correct. don't start looking yeah. for it guys no absolutely anyway right well thank you very much indeed um always a pleasure as always and um thank you very much for listeners for listening watchers for watching and <laughs> for you just supporting us uh, so thank you very much thank you guys thanks for right. listening see ya. bye bye